Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. <laughs> I'm Aminatu So. Who are you? I'm Ann Friedman. <laughs> oh, my God. On this week's agenda, so much to be angry about. The Supreme Court okays the Muslim travel ban. Congress must act to preserve DACA protections for immigrants, though time is running out. The tax bill continues to move forward, and it's truly horrible, even without the personhood language that we didn't like. Plus, a bigoted cake maker who claims to be a persecuted minority. Then there's a trip to the creep iceberg with news about Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, and Russell Simmons. The backlash begins with people who are like, hey, getting creeped on at work turned out great for me. There's a lack of support for Terry Crews, and people are really excited about John Oliver just doing his job. I feel like there are so many rage-inducing things to discuss this week. I don't even know where to begin. Well, there are a lot of rage-inducing things, but there are a lot of, like, personal things um, also to talk about because something that's been going on in the background for all of us (laughs) is that uh, I found out that I have endometrial cancer. To be clear, I was including that because I'm in the anger phase. So, like, anger at the world. I mean, listen, (laughs) I am sorry that you are going through this also. Stop. Like, we are all going through this. It's true. It's true. We're all going through it. If you can tell, I am, like, upbeat about it because I only have two modes, like, very depressed or very excited. (laughs) So, right now, I am just trying to channel all of my energy into, like, figuring out what treatment looks like for me. You know, and just like enjoying everything that's fun that life has to offer. So, so many people have like written in and said like really nice things. Thank you so much. So many people have asked like, what can I do? For me personally, there is nothing that you can do because I'm so well taken care of. For the universe, there are a couple things that you could do. One of them involves signing up for healthcare. Open enrollment ends December 15th. It would mean a lot to me if you would sign up or make sure that all of your friends are signed up. Yeah, and help them figure out how to sign up. Because I think that that is like, honestly, like no one gets health insurance alone in this country. It's like a group effort of like figuring it out. Yeah, if like everybody in your friend crew was like signed up for health insurance and you could like help each other through that, that would be really cool. What else can you do? You can donate blood if you're able to on a regular basis. I've been getting a ton of blood transfusions. I feel like that is like a very tangible act of generosity. Every time I get blood, I'm like, somebody like did this for me. Like, this is serious. I love that. They don't just, they don't just like harvest blood on like, I don't know, inside avocados. It's like, like people have to go do this. So I'm asking all of my friends to donate blood regularly You also put in a request that if anyone with a uterus is suffering like super heavy periods or other symptoms, to get it checked out, like go to the doctor and insist on testing and care for that. Totally. I love my doctors. I love my medical team. Also, like, this is hard for me because I I want to do this privately, but I think, you know, like, sometimes we're going to have to talk about it. So I'm just asking for everybody to be gentle about, like, how little or how much I would like to talk about it because it's just it's just going to be in the background of my life for a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's also like part of me too is like being close to you as you go through this. It is something I now think about a lot when like I am dealing with someone who I don't know, like over the internet for work. It's like, you don't know what's going on with them. Like it's like, it's prompted me to be like gentler and more generous with people who maybe are not going through something similar, but like it is, it is triggered like an empathy button in me for sure. You never know what people are going through. That's just, that's just it. I say this now where I'm being a nice person. When I turn into a full-on cancer diva in a couple of weeks, ask me again. But right now, I think that's like actually, that's like a great note to end that on. It's just like have empathy for people because you do never know what they're going through. Totally. I also have to tell you that like because you are in such like a proactive and upbeat mode, at least in like the Instagram post that you put up, for example, there's a, a friend of mine who is also a friend of yours who I will not out here recently was like, oh, she still has cancer? Like, I thought it was all over based on the tone of that Instagram post. And I was like, I was like, I had to like, I had to contain myself. I was like, it is not all over. Okay. Like, get it together. Oh <laughs> my God. Yeah. That's hilarious. Now I want to find out who. Um, I'll tell you when we're not recording, obviously. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to be like, hello, where, where you have now come to kiss the ring. What's going on? Um, I think they emailed yeah. the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I don't know. It's like, you can, you can cry about it. You can laugh about it. I'm doing both all the time. Like what I'm really excited about is that all of my, like I've always felt like a hypochondriac and like always a little crazy for how much I advocate for myself at the doctor. And I was like, oh, like this has worked out. <laughs> like, so this is where like taking all of your courage and having like hard and daring conversations like comes into play. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to be, I hope I will be fine because like so far so good. Yeah, I mean, like, like the idea that sticking up for yourself will always save your life in kind of like the big metaphorical sense, but like actually literally sticking up for yourself, saving your life is like a thing that I've been thinking about a lot for you and all women, like knowing we need to advocate for ourselves in pretty much every scenario. You know, I'm going to leave you with the words of Audre Lorde, your silence will not protect you. Applies in so many ways. I'm, yes, 100%. Sorry, feeling okay. emotional. <laughs> oh my God, get it together, Anne. <laughs> I love you so much. I'm very, in, I, I like, I, I don't, I'm trying to find a word other than inspired because I like hate it when people are like, you're so inspiring, but. I know. I, but oh, I am, thank I'm feeling you. that way. Like I truly am feeling that way. And it's like, you know, I'm a writer. I hate to resort to cliche, but like, <laughs> that's Listen, how Listen, cliche feel. works for a reason. Cliche works for a reason. It is tested and tried and proven. But, you know, it's like, we'll, we'll keep talking about it on the pod. Let's get through this. Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it. What else is going on on this podcast? 
What what are the other dramatic things that are happening? <laughs> oh my god, where do I even begin? I could begin talking about all of the like infuriating things in the news. Like the Muslim ban is back. Guess what? I know you haven't been at an airport holding a sign. Neither have I. Like that's on us. <sighs> but the Muslim ban is definitely back. The uh, Supreme Court decided not to uphold a lower court ruling. You know, except for except for our faves uh, Sonia Sotomayor and. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they were like, definitely like, this is a no-go zone. But everyone else like, was pretty... I dissent. <laughs> yeah, everyone else was pretty chill with uh, this latest iteration of the Muslim ban. That's happening. Trump ended Obama's deferred action program for childhood arrivals in the U.S. and like essentially put it in the hands of Congress to continue this. Uh. And surprise, surprise, Congress is not getting it together. And if they don't get it together before the end of December, then tens of thousands of immigrants are going to have to continue to live in a state of fear and precarity. So that's going on. What else? The budget. I can't even begin to talk about like the this tax bill situation, which is, as we discussed, more... <laughs> tax- Tax mess. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, this steaming pile of something called a tax bill. Um, oh, God. Which remains a nightmare for so many reasons. You know, the tax bill is hard for me because as a person, I don't like it, but as a corporation, I get it. And... <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Listen, now that I'm walking in my truth, I'm just going to say everything, everything I've wanted to say. I'm just like, hmm. I'm like, what a mess, this thing. But also like, hmm, Amina LLC might just could be fine. Oh my God. I can't even with you right now. What about CYG LLC? We're not going to be fine. (laughs) Oh my God. CYG LLC will be fine from the tax bill. But I'm telling you, it's because we have good politics that we're incensed by this. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Every time I hear, um, oh God, Ivanka's dad talk about how much the tax bill is going to kill him personally. I like that makes me laugh because I'm like, wow, your lying knows no bounds. Like we literally don't know the outlines of your tax situation. So the fact that you want us to believe that you would do something that would be detrimental to you or to your friends is like, we were not born yesterday, sir. Although I did read something just this week that Robert Mueller wants to subpoena all of our horrible Cheeto president's bank statements and bank records, which would be a real game changer. All of it will be a game changer because we'll finally find out like how much money he has, which, you know, I believe that he has no money. Right. Like real estate moguls usually are very light on cash. <laughs> so it's like we're like this is this is going to be crazy. But, you know, what we're really going to find out is how like CYG LLC definitely gives more to charity than like that family. Oh, I mean, Jesus. as a percentage, there's no question, right? As a percentage and even as like cold cash numbers, I'm going to tell you that. I believe that like 100%. Yeah. So the silver lining is that the personhood language that we talked about in a few episodes ago, which is basically saying that you could open a 529 college savings plan for an unborn child at quote, <laughs> any stage of development on behalf of every one of the eggs, like sitting in your ovaries or whatever. All all of the babies that are just a twinkle in the eye of their parents. Yeah, you no longer. So this has been stripped out. No longer can you open a college savings plan for every twinkle in every eye in America. They really tried it though. They really, they really tried, tried it. it. 
and it was very dastardly and genius, but like some people are not asleep at the wheel. But they also, I mean, there's there's plenty of other garbage that remains in it, including a lot of things that have to do with how state and local governments uh, use their own tax dollars, which is a problem if you are in like a city that needs a higher tax rate for something you want to do, like fix your roads or like spend more on public transportation or on social services. This is yeah. a bill that would constrain state and local governments from doing that, which is just like part of the GOP plan to convince everyone that government is only a force for bad and never for good. Yeah. Narrow pro-choice America's president, Elise Hogue, had like put out a statement that was basically like, yeah, like this is welcome news, but also like <laughs> stay vigilant because this kind of stuff fails a lot of time, but they are very persistent in trying to bring it back. And so knowing that there's an organization like NARAL that's actually has members that are ready to fight this stuff is really encouraging. But it is distressing to me how few people know about it. Yeah, I mean, it also contains a provision. Hang on, I'm checking to see if it's still in there. Yeah, from what I can see. So the bill hasn't gone through reconciliation yet. It was passed by the House and the Senate because like both branches of Congress are terrible right now. It also contains a provision that says... Um, churches would be able to engage in political activism, which we all know like how well that would go down for... Which they already are. I know, like, but like n- this is just like cool, Ugh. go for it. Like this is just like a green light, like not even in a gray zone. Like, yeah, basically this tax bill is only good for you if both of your parents are private jets. Like, <laughs> that's the only way you like net out fine. Everybody else is like messed up. Uh, I can't. It's this, and all the stuff. I've also just been like reading up all the stuff on like uh, graduate students and getting PhDs. Yes, and this is just gonna decimate like their financial situation. When you think already about like how much work and resources you need to like go through the upper echelons of academia, and now having that codified in the tax bill that literally only rich people can become PhDs. It's really upsetting. Yeah, 100%. So all of that is happening. There's like a cake master bigot who doesn't want to bake cakes for people who are gay. Who Okay, first of all, and his company is called Masterpiece Cakes. <laughs> the fact that Masterpiece Cakes is not a PBS TV show, like a cake competition, is the biggest travesty in the world. I can't even believe you're giving this man any sort of credit for anything. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, let's let's explain to the people the masterpiece cake situation. I like I like Cake Master Bigot personally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I hate about this case is that you know how much weddings are like not my favorite thing and like fighting for fundamental rights for people who very much deserve them and fighting for people to be free of discrimination should not require me to be in favor of wedding cakes and yet. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> wedding problems aside, a reason that this case is actually really important, it's that, like, it's one of the ways that um, people who are on our side politically get very complacent about things where we're like, ugh, like, how bad could it be? And again, you realize that, like, people on the right, part of the reason that they win is because they are persistent mm-hmm. and they're very disciplined. And so, you know, it's like for me, I'm like, ugh, a Supreme Court case about religion. I don't really care. And the First Amendment, I don't care that much. Actually, you should care because it's terrifying. Yeah, it basically says that, like, depending on the outcome of this case, which P.S., like, we already litigated this in the Jim Crow era when we said that businesses could not discriminate against 
black patrons. Like that was a thing that the court has already decided. Exactly. But one of the things that religious people have done really well recently is that they have co-opted the language of like minority. And so they're basically trying to get you to believe that like ideology is a protected class, which it's not. What's to stop like a white supremacist from saying that they have a religious right to refuse to bake a cake for a black couple? Religious arguments for white supremacy are like very, very, very old. Totally. And as like this case is basically a religious argument for like extreme bigotry against non-heterosexual Americans. Yeah. Why it's so dastardly is because like once you start saying that like commerce is (laughs) free speech, right? It's like a cake a cake artist, <laughs> oh my God, cake artist, or like a florist or whatever, where where does it stop? You can't really regulate commerce. So, and the thing that like I found really infuriating in this is that like I've heard a lot of liberal people say, well, you know, like there are a lot of places that you can get a cake or whatever. And the truth is that like that's probably the argument that's going to help the right wing win this. But there were also places where black people were not allowed to buy cake <laughs> and right. like, eat barbecue and drink water from fountains. And it's not like it's bad. Yeah. Um, you won't be surprised to learn that the Cheeto led White House is on the same side as the people who are defending their right to be bigoted with cakes. It's a group called the Alliance Defending Freedom. That's like another eye roll, right? Like the freedom to discriminate in your business. Oh yeah, like mm-hmm. that's definitely... Sorry, I'm just like, I'm, I'm being incredibly inarticulate about this because it's the sort of thing where the true long game is making itself seen, right? Like, I'm like, oh yeah, like thought yeah. we litigated this 50 years ago. The uh, long game is really to whittle away all of our anti-discrimination laws, right? Because like the thing that these people are really good at is just dominating the debate on everything. It's how uh, they basically turn like bullying women outside of abortion clinics into like, this grandma just wants to hold your hand. Right, a free speech issue. You. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and really it's like, no, they're trying to control your body. This is not good. Well, right. And they also, like, it's it's very savvy to use something that is, I mean, I know I'm half joking about Cake Master Bigot, right? But like, okay, not baking a cake for someone is really easy to argue that this is not like a life or death situation. But when you look at people who, like, what about a private landlord who would be legally able to refuse to rent to someone because of who they love or who they are or the color of their skin or whatever? It's like, obviously, we know our president is chill with that because he did it. But like, <laughs> you know, the idea that like this could affect housing or like other more fundamental rights not just like can you purchase a cake from someone is something that they like are very very good at obscuring right and it's also like all of the places where you could just get really complacent and be like well what if like a liberal cake maker doesn't want to make a cake for like a homophobe or whatever doesn't want to make a pepe cake for richard spencer right you don't want to make a pepe cake or a nazi cake and it's like well the difference between nazi cake and the homophobe cake and the gay wedding cake is that gay people are historically an oppressed class right (laughs) and i think about like just how evil the right wing is and it's why like something like gay conversion therapy is so important to them on the right because they basically like want to craft a world in which like they're the minority and the rest of us are just like we are the ones that are oppressing them right and it's like actually your god is on our money we celebrate all your holidays can we live please like you are the dominant culture you're in charge of literally every institution of power like yeah Ugh. There's a reason that people work on this kind of stuff for years and years and years because they know that eventually they will wear us down and win. They're not wearing me down. I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? 
fuck that master cake bigot guy. <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> Ugh. Well, do you want to talk about like the further reveal of the creep iceberg? <laughs> the like receding I mean, waters around the like slash the beginning of the backlash. Like, yeah. who do we get out of the paint since <laughs> since the last time we talked? Oh, Matt Lauer, who we famously brought up on this very podcast, doesn't have a job anymore. Hey, and did uh, you see the news that his slot's going to be taken over by your fave? Did you see this? By Christian Amanpour? Yeah. I know. What an inspired choice. It's like I engineered it myself. Ugh, I know. If I was like an evil media puppeteer, this would have been my long game the entire time. Ugh. It's kind of a bad long game because of all those people who were harassed by Matt Lauer and whose careers suffered. I don't I don't know that I like necessarily see it as like justice in any way, but I'm like, oh, yeah. like good choice in a bad situation. It's been very weird to watch like all of the morning TV shows and like all of the panels are all women. And I'm like, oh, it's because all of the guys are harassers and they're not here anymore. This is wild. Yeah, totally. Who else is gone? Charlie Rose is gone. Russell Simmons, Charlie Rose. I can't remember if we talked about that before. No, just like all of these bad people. The thing that's been like very weird is hearing all these people who work close to these people go, I didn't know. And I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, Savannah Guthrie. I don't even work at your office and I knew. Like, what's going on? Yeah, it's pretty selective. It is the tip of the creep iceberg. And the only thing that has been encouraging to me about seeing some of these guys like lose their jobs, because I'm so skeptical about that. I'm like, in five years, they will all have like bigger, better jobs. In fact, they're probably all plotting like in a group thread right now, like engineered by Bill O'Reilly. But the only thing that's been good about seeing these like kind of end of career people lose jobs is just this realization that like, you can shoot your entire legacy in the foot in the like last 12 months of your career. I mean, I hope you're right that it is their entire legacy shot in the foot. Like I really hope that that is what we're talking about here and not a blip between when they have a well-funded mea culpa documentary or comedy album or like whatever. I, like Charlie Rose is not coming back. I know, you know? but he's like, old. What about the young ones? Yeah, he's old. No, this is what I'm saying. But I am like, I am hoping that this like fear of seeing the old guys just like lives completely be destroyed is what is going to like shame the younger people into like realizing there's a problem. But also like this... Like, we're not even, like, we're not even at, like, 0.1% of, like, where this whole movement is going. And God only knows where it's going. But I'm just, like, holding my breath waiting for the other shoe to drop. There is something about the conversations that I have had 
with people in my life who are like not anti-feminist, I wouldn't say that, but people who are like, who are not on the tip of like constant feminist rage, like the way I am. <laughs> and, and, and having them have a little bit of like a, not like, whoa, I now acknowledge this happens, but like a, whoa, you were so mad all those years for a reason. Or like, whoa, like it really like is. Like the matrix is coming together for them. Completely. It's like the creepy dude upside down, like has always been visible to us, you know? And then like watching other people be able to see it has been like somewhat satisfying. However, mm-hmm. It's not lost on me that when it comes to younger people who have been accused of this behavior, like younger men, it's like taking a lot longer for those stories to come out. The idea that like it's clearly wrong for a figurehead like a Matt Lauer or a Charlie Rose to be harassing and doing horrible things to interns, like that feels really clear in this moment, right? Like it's safe to Mm -hmm. be like old creep, young intern, imbalance of power, you're awful. And I think like, What I'm waiting to happen is for the stories of men who are harassing their peers or people who are like maybe not their subordinates at work, but like people they know professionally and like the ramifications of that behavior to become known because it's not lost on me that like, yeah, like maybe Charlie Rose will never make anything again, but also like Charlie Rose was half an exhale away from retirement anyway. And so I'm just waiting for the young ones that I know are out there. I'm waiting for all of my peers who are out there. (sighs) And then the other thing that's happening is the backlash wave is beginning to crest. I'm not sure exactly like what phase we're at. We're starting to see, especially this week, lots of, oh, but can men and women even be friends? Like, like, why do you want to yeah, end can, friendship? Can you still hug your coworkers at oh work? Oh my God. Yeah. Can you still lovingly pat the butts of only your younger female coworkers at work? Is that okay? Is that not okay anymore? What world are we living in? Right. Like we don't know. First of all, like women don't know the difference between like friendship and like actual rape and harassment. Thank you. Uh, we're very acutely aware of it. And also I have long maintained this. Maybe you shouldn't be hugging people at work and maybe you should you should save all that shit for your friends. This conversation drives me. It actually like drives me bonkers because it's so infantilizing for one and two is like done in such bad faith. Yeah, the idea that like when women sound the alarm or when people sound the alarm that they have been touched in a way that is not okay by them, that is like creeping them out and violating their boundaries, that they are somehow making a proclamation that like no contact is ever okay. Those are two very, very different things. Also, like, why are you trying to make contact anyway? I'm, I, I just have to say this. If you have ever touched someone on the small of the back in that kind of like deliberate way, like it's never okay. Like it is never like, like someone who you are like not in like a very, very close friendship slash like probably already sexual relationship with, like do not put a, like a gentle hand on the small of anyone's back ever. Yeah, this is infuriating for like many reasons, right? It's like, I get it. Um, You know, like work is a very fertile ground for like meeting your partner and your spouse or whatever. And yes, like that is the nature of our economy and how we work. There's a world in which like there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that like not examining how even a consensual sexual relationship between like two people affects the rest of the office's dynamics is really dishonest. You're talking about an article in Slate by Allison Benedict, which I can summarize as getting creeped on at work turned out great for me. 
Um, <laughs> listen, sometimes it works out. Um, a different sort of addition into the like what now we can't be friendly at work genre, which says essentially if modern politics relating to behavior in the office, if those had been in place, I wouldn't have met the love of my life. But there are some like truly shocking and appalling things in this article. On one hand, I'm like, fine, people meet at work. I have had relationships with people who I have worked with in the past that have like have been serious relationships and like whatever. And the problem of this is being like, here is one woman's highly specific experience that she did not find creepy and it's being used to kind of like pose the rhetorical question of, well, what if it isn't so bad across the board beyond my personal experience? There's this part in this, oh my God, I know you're screaming. I knew you were screaming when you read this. I'm doing internal scream like this and, and just like holding my breath in. Can I please read you a short paragraph? Please do. It wasn't until years later that John told me he used to look down the back of my jeans at work. I was surprised. I guess he had been discreet, but filed that little nugget away as cute, not creepy. It turns out a long, long time ago, he thought I was hot. You know, it's all about how hot you are or not, and that's what really drives your feelings about being harassed at work. Practical concern also. This guy was staring at the, quote, back of your jeans. Of course you didn't notice him. He didn't even need to be discreet. He was, like, literally staring at the back of you. <laughs> like, like, so there's that, which is ridiculous. And then she also says... I know John wouldn't have punished me at work had I not been interested in his advances. How do you know that? Are you a wizard? Did somebody else get punished at work because you were in a relationship with someone who was kind of your boss? Like, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that it's crazy not to ask those questions. Yeah, and then she has a follow-up that says... Like who? Yeah, it's like, who didn't get opportunities because you were getting opportunities? That's also, like, worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, and, and this idea, too, that, like she says, if he had punished her, if she'd rejected his advances and he had punished her at work, she said, that would have been a harassment and not okay. And it's like this idea of I had a highly specific, like, one-off situation, which is a hot affair with my boss that I ended up marrying and it ended up being great and now he's a great guy and I know nothing would have turned out differently. It's like, how naive do you have to be to say, I absolutely know it couldn't have gone any other way? <sighs> <laughs> Thank you for sighing with me. I'm just like, that's all I have for this right now. I, yeah. Also, like, women dying on the hill of defending men has been, this has been very instructive time for me. I can't wait till, like, a lady harasser is outed and, like, no man defends her. Oh, definitely not. I'm like, we're going to see how this game is played. But y'all ladies love rehabilitating men. My God, just let them duke it out. It's fine. I, I just really resent... So the headline on this piece is the upside of office flirtation, question mark. No one has ever argued that every single time there is a non-professional or kind of sexually charged interaction between two coworkers, it's rape. Like, that's not a thing that people are saying. And, like, this idea that, like, because you want to end harassment at work, you are, like, banning flirtation is, I'm sorry, like, frankly, really crazy to me. Like, no one is reporting a wholly consensual kiss that was like kind of awkward with a, yeah. a co-equal co-worker. Women are literally coming out 20 years later to tell you that they felt uncomfortable about something because we literally don't live in a society where we let you process out loud whether something was right or wrong. Totally. It's so infuriating. In talking to friends about this too, like the articles like this do not 
acknowledge the fact that like, yeah, it actually happens all the time that like women have experiences with coworkers or peers, professional peers who make an advance or like hit on them or whatever. And women say no and like reject them and everything is fine. Everything just kind of like continues to chug along. Like that happens a lot too. It's not like, yeah. And also that's exactly the way it should happen. Nobody should get a pat on the back for that. Yeah. And I think that like this article in particular, because the man in question was her boss, I'm like, that's where I'm like, how stupid is this person? Conflating office flirtation with like your boss making a pass at you is also like really, I'm sorry, is a problem. And like, and being able to say like, it didn't bother me is like the most infuriating thing ever. You're not the person who gets to decide for everyone in the workplace ever what involves crossing a line and what is uncomfortable. And we're still not discussing the fact that like we live in a culture that makes it okay for women to be harassed in the numbers that they're harassed at work. Like that we're still not dealing with, you know? But like, does this mean there's no more making out of the holiday party? It's also like really cruel to the women who have come forward to like share their stories. That's the other thing too. Articles like this have the effect of without saying it's the fault of women who experience this negatively that it's like on them. Like essentially what's implied here is like it went great for me and there are like a bunch of caveats like, oh, you know, maybe it's not great for everyone. But like the overarching effect is to say like if you have a problem with it, it's your problem and you're kind of misreading things and like taking it too hard. Like if you had been a cool chill girl like me, you could have been the co-owner of Charlie Rose's townhouse. Completely. I did like, you're right. This is such like cool girl behavior. Like, yeah, I love making out with the boss after karaoke woo you know (laughs) yeah and instead like you know and again like I'm not saying that like you cannot meet the love of your life at work and that they're not a decent person but it is like highly like suspect and honestly like cruel to try to universalize your own experience it's like again like you're taking a systemic critique and taking it personally like nobody cares about your own like congratulations that you like met somebody at work and it worked out for you Uh, We literally have evidence that for hundreds of thousands of women, the opposite is happening to them. Right. And nobody is listening to those people. Right. (sighs) Well, good luck to everybody who's having a successful office romance. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Mazel tov. (laughs) Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh. He's a creep. What else is happening on the on the creep iceberg? <laughs> what else is happening on the creep iceberg is that Terry Crews has been like naming names and you know how like I will not die on the hill of defending a man on anything. He is actually like one man who I feel has like shared his story of harassment and has contextualized it in a way where he was like here are the parallels with what women are going through. Here is my own experience. And here is like where it intersects with race as well. He's been naming names and talking about like his industry's like toxic subculture. And it's really been interesting to see how it's not sticking and people are not believing him in the way that they should. And it is very like it's very encouraging to see him like not back down. And it is highly frustrating to see how he's being treated. Yeah. And like in this case in particular, the person who assaulted him, like essentially an agent named Adam Bennett, who I don't know, I don't know anything about Hollywood, whatever, but represents a lot of important big name people like Diane Keaton, Emma Stone, Eddie Murphy, and Adam Sandler. 
this uh, agent walks up to Terry Crews and just like grabs his genitals straight up. And then when Terry Crews said something to the host of the party, which was Adam Sandler, nothing happened. I mean, like, and, and all these people. And he also, like, in that moment, like, realized that he couldn't do anything because, like, here he is, like, a big black man. And, like, the optics look bad for him and everything backfires and, it, like, becomes his fault if he, like, creates any kind of commotion. Right. It's one of those things where the reason you're not hearing the name Adam Bennett alongside all of these other creeps that we've mentioned is because of, like, who he targeted. You know, the answer is he targeted a black man. <laughs> um, the other thing that is, like, frustrating slash amusing to watch is how, like, all of these, like, new internet feminists are going out of their way to praise John Oliver, who uh, called out Dustin Hoffman on Dustin Hoffman's own history of harassment during a panel that they were doing. And to be clear... I am very happy that John Oliver used his capacity as a journalist to do journalism. Wait, he did what <laughs> and, now? He did what now? And he like challenged somebody <laughs> on something that is in the news. But again, <laughs> it's so crazy to me that John Oliver, <laughs> like, yeah, it's like people, I, I tweeted about this because, pe- yeah, people are going out of their way to be like, thank you for being brave. Thank you for using your voice or whatever. I'm going to hit you with two things. One, It was literally just a couple of years ago that Jezebel and a friend of the podcast, Erin Carmon, wrote about the Daily Show's woman problem. And maybe if you were still in college or you weren't reading the internet or like you hadn't gotten to Teen Vogue yet or whatever, you did not know that like all of the comedy boys like did not handle that very well. People were just like, there's no like structural sexism problem in, in comedy. There are more British people in late night TV than there are women still. Like, it's like, it's not okay. And John Oliver was one of the people that, like, his response to that was, like, sorely lacking and frankly sexist. I'm glad that, like, seven years later, he is, like, awoken enough that he knows more. And I'm glad that he is, like, using his voice. But it's, like, very hard to see people who contribute to, like, a climate of fear for women and a climate of, like, not creating opportunities for women now come out, like, looking like fucking heroes. Like, not on my goddamn watch. And also, like, this is the bare minimum that you can do. This is the bare minimum that, like, men can do is call other men out in their lives who are, like, assholes. This is not the thing that we give them the prize for. This is the floor. Yeah, and also just, like, I I think it is fair to continue to ask, like, say, okay, you've demonstrated that you care about this issue. What are you doing next, right? Like, it's not, like, it's not punishing someone who does their job and, like, actually asks about something that is the zeitgeist. If you say, huh, like, okay, well, what are you doing in terms of hiring? How are you putting your belief that this is wrong into action in other ways? You know, I think that there's this sense of, oh, if we don't praise someone who gets it kind of right, then they'll never have any incentive to do good ever again. And I think the opposite is true. I think that like this is once someone says that they care about an issue or care about something, the logical thing is to say like, how are you living that? You know, like that's just like, that's what I expect of everyone. Right. And like, how are you creating opportunities for like people who you know are affected by this issue to like work in your industry? And and I know that like anecdotally, the writer's room at John Oliver's show is like more diverse than most, right? So it's like, I know that he gets it. 
But like, my God, should you get a pat on the back for it? You know who doesn't get a pat on the back for it? Women who do that work every day. Just let people be grownups. You don't have to go out of your way to like create heroes out of just like people who do regular decent things. Jesus. I mean, I understand. I understand why it happens though, which is like everything is shitty and no one is reacting the way we want them to react to the fact that like, you know, this is decades of injustice we're now finally starting to talk about. And so when when someone who doesn't have to do it right, like let's be real, like he could continue to have his job if he doesn't do anything, does something pretty right. That's why everyone gets so excited and it's like you just have to decide if you're going to be comfortable with like accepting that as the bare minimum or if you want more. Yeah, like I am not settling for the fucking bare minimum of like saying that women should be allowed at work. That's crazy. Yeah, I know you're not and neither am I. And like I think that there's also something going on too that's like some like anger tone policing, right? Of like, can't you just be happy about this one good thing? You're angry all the time. Like just be happy about this one. Just smile. Yeah. Like just You know what? I'll smile about this if all the men who are afraid that they can't flirt at the office now also just smile. Like we'll all be fine. <laughs> no more lower back touches and yeah. yeah. I'm like just smile, sweetie. You're you're doing amazing, sweetie. Yeah. What's the matter? Why wouldn't you be smiling today, beautiful? Oh, my God. Yep. I love it. I feel like you're doing amazing, sweetie, is a good note for us to end on for all of this. <laughs> you're doing amazing, sweetie. You're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> I hope Tina plays the audio. Kim, you're doing program. amazing, push the, sweetie. Push this knee out. <laughs> Maybe we just have to end, like, every episode with that from now on because it really is, like, it boys me so much. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kenesha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Thanks for being my friend. And I will see you very soon on the internet. Oh, see you on the internet. (laughs) That was a good rant.